Dr. Maria here, getting ready to enjoy part one with Brother Kenneth Matthew, moving from the bottom to the top. It's about to get real. Welcome to Real Nurse Real. This is the social media platform whereby I, Dr. Maria Seaman, well, I get real with you all. Real nurse, real. We're not hiding behind walls and behind curtains and what have you. We are coming live and direct and always dealing dealing with a topic, uh, having the conversation about something that impacts the lives of local Bermudians, even folks across the waters. And tonight is no different. I'm very excited to share this time with you. Let me give some shout outs to the early group, the early crew, and then we're going to introduce our guest speaker for tonight. All right, so some shout outs here. Muriel, I see you. Terry Cox, God bless you. My sister-in-law, Hope, how you doing? Overseer Trot, uh, they're hopped on early, and so we're glad. Sister Angela, obviously on, and, and it's good to see you all. Tag somebody, like, tag, share. We are about to have the conversation. Amen. And so here we go. Folks, I sincerely believe as a pastor that God sends people uh, to join us, uh, to be a part of the church. And when, when God sends anybody, he sends you, that person comes with a gift. They come with a certain um, gift that is needed in the body that the pastor may not have directly. But thank goodness we are the body of Christ. And therefore, what I may personally uh, lack or not have as much detail in, no worries. God sends in someone and my goodness, they just, wow, open up another layer of ministry um, to the house. And that's why I'm glad to have as my guest, uh, Brother Kenneth Matthew tonight. Let me say, I, I met him some time ago now, a year or so before this drama. And before he became a member of Shekinah Worship Center, I remember we met and talked at the Arboretum, which I call my outside office, right? In any case, when he shared with me his life story, I said, oh my gosh, this is a story. And certainly we need to have folks to come and hear all about it. And so I was like, please let him become a member. Please, please, please. Because I want to be the one to present him uh, to the world. Why? Not because he is a member of Shekinah Worship Center, but because there is a miraculous story uh, that he has to share. Now, he shared it in Bermuda already, and he's made some attempts and, well, you're going to hear the story. I'm just a facilitator here. Uh, again, I am blessed. And I think it's time for us to get on with uh, a real-life story. You know, how God can take you from the bottom, and I mean the bottom, and cause you to be elevated. That's what our God will do. In any case, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, social media uh, the environment there. Hello to you. And now we're going to say hello to our brother, Kenneth Matthew. And ladies and gentlemen, here he is. Brother Matthew, good evening to you, sir. How are you? I'm well, Pastor. I'm well, thank you. Wonderful. 
Well, um, again, I just told the people that you have quite a story. And, and when I say story, I'm not doing it justice because, like, it's real. It's like, whoa. And for that reason, I want to immediately, first of all, thank you uh, for joining us, uh, being a part of uh, the Shekinah, the Swim family, and uh, giving of your gifts. And you, sir, are a gift to the world. God kept you uh, so that this can be a part of the unfolding of who you are. And with that in mind, now, remember, we talk, this looks like a three-parter to me, two or three. So we may not, we won't finish it all tonight, but we will begin. Brother Kenneth Matthew, tell us, begin to tell us your story, sir. How did God move you from the bottom? So you got to go back and you got to tell us how did, how in the world did you get to the bottom? Please uh, share with us. And in between your sharing, at some point, I'm going to show them some of those newspaper articles that you gave to me today. So go right ahead, Brother Matthew. Share with us. God bless you. Thank you. First of all, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do this with you, Pastor. And I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. You know, my story disclosed in a general way what it used to be like, what happened, and what it is like now. And what it used to be like was this. I grew up at Purvis in Cedar Hill, Warwick, at Purvis School, and I went to school there. And um, I remember, you know, growing up and going to school there, you know, I was like what they would call a problem child. You know, I had areas of dysfunction, which I didn't understand at that time. You know, um, because I was going through such a, a change, I was the fourth child of, from my mother, and um, I was raised by my grandparents. There's no harm by then. I love my mother dearly, and I love my father dearly, but I was raised by, from the younger years by my grandparents. And because I was raised by my grandparents, you know, I was known as Kenneth Matthew, on weekends, because that's where they were. They were Adventists at the time, so I had to go there. But Monday through Friday, I was known as Kenny Bruce. And for a four or five-year-old child, that was kind of difficult to understand that. So I was torn between two minds and, and all that. So therefore, things happen. And as I was getting older, I was looking for, you know, affection and looking for acceptance and looking for all those different things in different places. And, and so, you know, as it went on, I went to Warwick Sec School. And Warwick Sec was a, a great experience for me. The school was there. I had, had people that, you know, were telling me that I was not a dysfunctional child. Um, and I have to give props to teachers like Mr. Neville Tatum, right, and Mr. Williams and, and different teachers like that. And, you know, but I was always trying to fit in. I was trying to fit in with the in crowd. I was always trying to get into the gangs and, and make myself popular and, and things like that. And, you know, so therefore things started happening like, um, you know, you go up behind the school and play hooky from school. And one day one person would bring some alcohol and next day with somebody would bring some some cigarettes. And then it elevated and it got on to next time someone brought some marijuana we call it weed or pot or whatever way you want to call it. And so then the delinquency started happening, you know, running away from school and playing hooky and things like that. And that, and then other things started happening. 
things like going on to to uh, uh, gambling and and going on to hanging out with all the people at at the rubber tree and and all like that. And as things started getting, I started getting older. I started to realize that you know I wanted to be away from everybody. I didn't want. I couldn't stay with my grandparents no longer because I was acting out, and I couldn't stay with my my mother because I was a young man now and. So I had to move on. And moving on, I started to get into the world. And in, in the world, I'd say, I started to do other things like, you know, hang out with, with different crowds and different people. And like I said, I'm trying to start to paint this picture of the way, the way it was because I, I need people to understand how that when you're a young person, you know, you want to be known, you want to be have that that suaveness, that coolness, you want to be in that click. And so things started escalating from there. So eventually what I decided to do was, you know, get jobs in a hotel and things like that. And and during that time, you know, getting jobs in a hotel, you want to hang out with some of the guests. And so you show the guests where all the night spots were. And, and at that time there was night spots like 40 Thieves Jungle Room and and four aces and places like that. So I hung out in all these clubs and, and, and doing all the things that people out there in the world do, which were negative. I must admit, um, I got it, got it. Now, mind you, what I'm trying to say is that I'm not ashamed of any of my past. So I got to tell my past and keep it raw and keep it real pastor. And that's for everyone. I became a male prostitute straight out. You know, wow. I've done all those things because you want to get that attention. You want to get the money. You want to get the fame. You want to get the glory. You want to get all that. And so eventually, you know, I, I decided like, you know, um, hey, I, I want to leave Bermuda for a while. So I left Bermuda and I went to Illinois first. And the first part of Illinois, I said, when I was there, I said, OK, you know, I'm going to you know, hang out and do things there. I wanted to go back to school because I really was trying to do the right thing. But I was torn between two places and two worlds. So I, I registered at Joliet Junior College, and I went there doing culinary arts, being from Bermuda, you know about the hotel industry. And I landed a fantastic job. I landed a job at Denny's, right? Became a Denny's manager, you know. But the thing about it was I was smoking so much pot and so much weed that the manager, the district manager said, you know, in some countries it might be legal, but here it's not legal. And you got to, so I ended up losing that job. So after losing that job, right, I had to come back to Bermuda. And coming back to Bermuda, I met with a few friends. And I'm trying to paint this picture because the friends that I met coming back to Bermuda are no longer alive. Wow. All five of them are dead. Wow. The dead from either drugs or drug-related offenses. And, and we'll get into that a little bit later on. But I'm trying to paint this picture of what happened, right, while I was now in my early 20s. Right? And so eventually I met this young lady, and she was from Norway originally. And um, she lived in Boston. And uh, I met her. But I was lending these fantastic jobs. I don't know how they were coming about. And I landed this big contract with government. And um, the job paid fantastic money. I had actually, I'm going to tell you, the job was actually Harrington Sound School, that big, long stone wall. I landed that job and I had two other Masons and um, I employed them. And also I didn't have the equipment. So I got Mr. Freddie Thomas 
to lease me the equipment and I leased the equipment and I got all this money and I paid off everyone and I left Bermuda with this Norwegian and we went to Boston. Little did I realize my disease of addiction was ahead of me. It got off the plane long before I did. That night I was getting hard and I spent so much money on drugs and my addiction got worse and worse. And, and I'm trying to paint this picture so you can, so I can bring it up to the point that you can understand where, where what was happening, how it was elevating and my addiction was elevating because I didn't think I had a problem. Mm. At this stage, I don't really think I had a problem. I had some money. And if you feel like asking a question. But- you are so young to begin um, with, with, with drugs, with cigarettes, with weed. And just just to clarify, because I don't want to put any information out there that's not true. What was the young? What was your age when you began to dabble in any drug? I was probably about 15, 16 years old when I started smoking pot. Pot. Okay. Okay. And so this will be, ladies and gentlemen, this is in secondary school. Secondary school when I started smoking marijuana. I had drinks of alcohol earlier than that. Okay. But, you know, it's still, it's a drug. Yes. Alcohol yes. is a drug. Yes, it is. And, and they all need somewhere. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to allow you to keep on talking now that we've got you back on board. Yes. Okay. And now I was in Boston, Mass. And, and during this period in, in Boston, Massachusetts, my addiction started growing. Obviously, using more drugs, getting involved in all the wrong uh, uh, people and and uh, getting stopped, getting arrested, and things like that. Um, actually, I was starting to rip off drug dealers and and then and then borrowing money from people and not paying them back and crediting uh, drugs. So what I'm trying to do is paint this picture so they can understand. I'm going to tell this quick part of my story: is that I had borrowed thirty dollars from this drug dealer one day. And um, I promised him I'll pay him, and, and I, I never paid him. And this day was snowing. This was in Central Square, Massachusetts. It was snowing. The snow was coming down really, really hard. And uh, I, you know, I really was judging. I wanted to get a, a hit of drugs so bad. And I had $30 and, you know. And so I saw this guy coming up the street, and I could recognize him by his walk. And as he walked towards me, I said, yeah, I know. So, and he got close to me. I said, hey, man, what, you got something? He said, yeah. He said, let's go over here in this building there because Popo is hot. Popo is the police. He said, Popo is really hot. So we went over in the building. And as we went over to the building, right, I saw him reach in his pants pocket and pull out the book of, of drugs. And he turned around and he whop, hit me in the eye with his gun. And I fell to the ground. And as I fell to the ground, I had the money in my hand and my face was all bleeding and he said, so-and-so, he used some curse words. He said, so-and-so, I got a good mind blow your so-and-so brains out. And if he would have shot me right there and then, nobody would have known who I was because I didn't have no ID or anything. He snatched the $30 out of my hand and he threw down a bag of drugs. And he said, the next time I see you, you owe me double. Did I learn from that? Absolutely not. I couldn't see it. And even up to today, my, my eye still runs and waters even up to today. And this is many, many years later. That was just some of the incidences that used to happen. And then eventually started getting into fights and things like that. And so I got arrested a couple of times. And while I was being arrested, I got arrested on that one. They gave me auto reconnaissance on my own bail. You're not supposed to get any more trouble. I got arrested again and they put me in jail until my date to go to court. While I was in jail, 
right? There are things that happen even in jail. While I was in jail, as I was going upstairs, this young man had some, some pot and he was scared to take it in jail. I said, give it here, man, I'll take it, trying to be brave and go. And I actually took it in jail. And that got me to know the in crowd in jail. And so as I got involved with the in crowd in jail, because I went to jail, I didn't have anything. I didn't have any money or anything like that, but I ended up having this pot. And so he got me sneakers, he got me cigarettes, he got me in with the crowd. But then when it all ran out, one day I was standing there and I was arguing with this guy. And I didn't realize what was gonna happen. I, you know, in jail, you gotta be careful. So I had my back against the wall and the guy I'm talking to, you know, I said to him, I said, these guys are gonna fight me. I'm gonna have to fight with these guys. And little did I know, this guy hits me first. And then I'm on the ground and they're stomping me and beating me. And as you can see, my nose is still crooked. It's still, it, they broke my nose, broke my ribs. And all I heard this guy say was stop. And they threw me into the shower and he says, if you say anything, you're dead. So when the warden came and asked me, how come I'm all beat up and all that? And they never took me out to the hospital. They brought in a portable x-ray and they x-rayed my face and my ribs and all that. And I never told him, I said, it happened on the basketball court. I was playing basketball and I fell over the guy. And that's just one of the instances that happened in jail. Another incident in jail where I almost got stabbed, right? This guy, and, and I'm going to show you how God works in mysterious ways and wonders to perform. This guy and I used to share a Bible. And this day he said, hey, Matt, give me the Bible. And he passed a note in the Bible. And it said, when you go to breakfast, go up front by the officer. And when you come back, go up front by the officer. Destroy this note. Don't let anyone see it. This young man was a Latin, one of the Latin gangs. And he was in jail for double homicide, which he did commit here. This morning, I went breakfast up by, stood up by the officers, and coming back from breakfast when you line up before you get ready to go into your cell, this young man called me. And just as I took a step to go to him, I remembered the note. And then, right, so I said, no, nah, I'll talk to you later. He snatched me, and the other guy tried to shank me. And, he meant, and the officers gripped him and all that, and they, they put me in protective custody because they want to kill me over one cigarette, over one cigarette. A cigarette in jail is like money. So when it came down to me going down, I ended up getting bail, you know, and that part I'll tell another part of my story, I ended up getting bail. But I decided that I got to leave Massachusetts because now, you know, I'm, I'm really worried. So I leave Massachusetts and I go to New York. In New York, things got worse. I started, you know, using more drugs and I, you know, my aunts and uncles didn't want me around. Anyone want me around? So then I started hanging out with the guys and I ended up not having anything. So I ended up living in abandoned buildings. And in some of these abandoned buildings, you had even people in the abandoned buildings who were trying to control some of these abandoned buildings. You know, and it started getting worse. I was eating out of soup lines and things like that. I'm trying to paint the picture to let you stay, let you understand what was happening in my world. You know, now I'm eating, you know, I'm standing in front of 7-Elevens with a cup in my hand. And some days, you know, I had the cup in my hand. I used to put a stone in the cup and shake the cup to, you know, and open the door at 7-Eleven and beg for money. It was really, really bad. Now I'm weighing about 130 pounds, soaking wet, with three sets of clothes on. 
I remember living in these abandoned buildings. You know, I had to put polyethylene up to the window because it kept the cold out. This time of year would be so cold. You know, and I'm painting this picture to understand that how the disease of addiction took me all the way to the bottom. I remember one day I was so hungry. I was sitting in a park, right? And I was hungry. And I remember, you know, where the McDonald's was, you know, and so, and, and the Burger Kings and all these stores were in. And I said, look, I'm going over here because I know that they throw a lot of this food out. And as I got there, a dog was there eating. It, and and I, I said, you know, it's going over there. The dog started growling at me. And I growled back at her. You better get out of the way. And I chased a dog away from a garbage can so I can get something to eat. Wow. I'm painting this picture so people can really truly understand how the disease of addiction can take you straight to the bottom where you're eating out of garbage cans. Knowing that I come from an island like Bermuda, knowing that I, I, you know, I didn't have to live like this, but the disease and still at this point, I didn't think I was that bad. I still didn't (laughs) think I was that bad. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Brother Matthew, let me ask uh, this question. I've got a couple of folks making comments. And one person wants to know, uh, Muriel, she's saying, when you left Bermuda, I didn't quite care if you said you went to Illinois. If so, what made you move on to the next state? What happened in Illinois? Can you respond to that? Well, in Illinois, yes. In Illinois, I went to Joliet Junior College for a while. And then I landed a good job with Denny's as a Denny's manager. But because I smoked so much pot, you know, I ended up losing that job. And then I had to come back to Bermuda because I couldn't stay there because I had no place to stay. I couldn't get welfare or unemployment. And then like, so I came back to Bermuda and in Bermuda coming back, I met friends in Bermuda. Like I said, they're all passed away now. Right. And they passed away through drugs. One got killed up at 42nd beat over $50 cocaine rock. One got uh, stabbed to death on Elliott Street. The other died from cirrhosis of the liver. Another one hung himself. So God spared my life for a reason. My God. I, I often say God didn't deliver me from shark infested waters to die on the beach. I have a message to carry. And, you know, so then I ended up, like I said, lending this big contract with government. And then I, because I met a lady from Norway, but she lived in Boston. So I went to Boston. And then from Boston, I migrated to New York. Speaking about New York, I ended up in Brooklyn, New York, living in abandoned buildings and things like that and um, earning different guys money for, you know, different things. I always had a talent, though. I, you know, I was into electronics. I was into radio and, and things like that. So I could build amplifiers and things like that. So I was doing this amplifier for these guys who were drug dealers, really. But then I owed this guy right, who was a drug dealer. I owed him some money. But I remember one day I saw him take a tin of uh, soup, put it in a tube sock and beat this guy because he owed him money. This particular day, I did not want this guy to catch up with me. So I'm painting it now to let you know exactly the way it was like, how bad it was for me, because my story, like I said in the beginning, disclosed in a general way what it used to be like what happened and what it's like now. And that's some of what it used to be like. It was not a pretty picture. You know, I was hungry, beat up, broke up, messed up, tore up. And times I threw up because the disease of addiction had me sick. I was skinny. I often tell people, you know, I, I look like a rat and smell like a skunk. You know, um, that's how bad it was. It was really bad. Um, 
you know, I, I, I many times ate out of soup lines for Catholic charities, walk in there in soup lines. But I'm, I'm going to speed it up a little bit and let you know the second part of this part, right? Whereas in that soup line, one day, a lady said to me, you look like you need some help. And me arrogant, I said, how are you going to help me? How are you going to help me? You can't help me. And she says to me, yeah, well, after you finish eating, you know, come up to my office. And so I had that day had a little uh, big cup that I got out of the garbage can. So I took some extra soup, put it in the cup because I wanted it for later. And so as I went up to her office and uh, we were sitting in the office, she said, you need some help. You need to go to a, a, a detox unit or something like that. Just me, yeah, 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 go ahead. Because I had no place to stay. She called Queensboro Hospital and they said, this was on a Friday, Friday morning. They said, yeah, we have a bed for him, but on Monday. I said, lady, if you wait till Monday, I'll be dead. I said, open that book back up. And she opened the book back up and actually flipped the pages. All I saw was the word faith. I said, call this place right here. Call that place right there. She called it was Faith Mission. Faith Mission was in Queens. I'm way downtown Brooklyn. To get from Brooklyn to Queens, I had no way. I had no money, no way to get there. She said, I'm going to give you this one Metro card. It gives you one ride on the train and one ride on the bus. And the people said, he has to get here by one o'clock. Normally, it would be no way that time of day for me to get from there. But I went out there and I got on the train. I remember the train going uptown, clackety, 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 clack. The train, I caught an express train, just by coincidence, was an express train. I got off the train at Sufton Boulevard. I remember this as clear as day, Pastor, clear as day, because I never want to ever forget it. I got off, I got off there and I, I jumped on a bus. And I said to the bus driver, I need to get to Faith Mission. I need to get a Faith Mission. And he said, he said, okay, okay, we'll get to Faith Mission. So I sat down on a bus and a couple went down the road. A couple more, I got up again. I need to get to Faith Mission. And he, he says, okay, we'll get you there. We'll get you there. Got up again and asked him again. He says, relax, young man. We'll get you there. He knew where Faith Mission was. I didn't. He stopped right outside of Faith Mission, which was not even a bus stop. He stopped right there. So I walk inside of Faith Mission. The lady looks at me. She says, you look like you're hungry. I said, I am. She brings out this big homemade hamburger, you know, with, with onions cut up in it. And she had these real French fries. I call them real French fries because there was real potatoes cut up and French fries. She walked literally. I don't know if I can describe it, but from, from one, this office to the other part of the building. And when she came back, I actually licked the plate clean. I actually licked the plate clean. She says, you got to go inside and get a shower. So I said, okay. So she went inside. I took off my clothes. And as I was taking off my sneakers, excuse me. Wow. Excuse me if, if I shed a tear because, see, it's so weird to me. As I was taking off my sneakers, see, my sneakers had cardboard in the bottom. And, you know, um, I was saying, dang, this room stinks. And I turned around. There was nobody else in the room but me. I got in the shower and, and all the dirt was coming off me. It was going down the drain. And I remember the lady coming in. We were masked now. She had a mask on back then. She had a mask. She came in with latex gloves on. And she had a, that hospital gown folded up. And she put it down. And, and she picked up my clothes. And she put it in a garbage bag. 
and 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 she, and she went out the room and let, when she came back, you know, she said, put it on. I put it on and oh, the backside, you know, the hospital gowns, the backside's out. So I looked over in the corner and over in the corner, I saw this big garbage bag over there. So I walked over there to the garbage bag and, and I opened the garbage bag up and I saw some clothes and there's some underwear in there. And I took the underwear and I washed them out, you know, washed them out real good. And I rang them on the toe. And as I started putting them on, Pastor, there's a pair of women's underwear. I had to put them on because that's all I had. I had nothing. And I'm not gay. I'm going to say that out front. But I had to put them on. She took me inside and she said to me, she said, you know, now you got to stay in here. And during the, the period of time for the next couple of days, I vomited on myself. I urinated on myself. I defecated on myself. I, I was sick and they didn't give me anything but two aspirin. I went through a detox cold turkey. It was, it was, it was wrenching. It was wrenching. And I stayed, I stayed there in that detox. And in that detox, something started to happen. And this, this is where I say, my story is clear in January. What it used to be like, and I'm picking a picture of what it used to be like and what happened. And what happened was, it was just, I tell the story of the, of the, the, Caterpillar and the butterfly, as the as the caterpillar walks around in the muck and the myrrh and, and all that, and that's what it was when I was out there using drugs. I was in the dirt, in the down in the muck. And as I went into that 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 detox, a metamorphosis started happening. That cocoon was being wrapped around me, and little did I know what was happening at that time. Little did I know that at that time something was starting to change and evolve in my life because see. Well, I didn't say it earlier, but when I got out of jail that time, I knelt down and kissed the ground and said, I never want to go back to jail again. I said, God, don't ever let me go back to jail again. And he was answering my prayer and I didn't know it. But that that metamorphosis was happening with me in that detox. Because I had no money, I had nothing. So when it came time for me to leave that detox. Lady says to me. You got to leave her. We're in a two week detox. I said, well, where am I going to go? I have no place to go. And I started crying. And, and she says, well, we're, we're going to try something. I said, what? So she, she wrote this letter. And it was a place. She said, you're going to go up to this place. And you're going to go there. And you're going to ask them to uh, see if they can take you, which was a rehab. Right? This rehab, I went there that morning. I got there early. And as I got there, this man was walking up and down. He looked like a hippie to me. He had, he had uh, earrings in his ear. And he said, just sit there, just wait, just sit there and relax. Just relax. So he said, well, when the you know receptionist come in, she'll get all your information. She came in, she looked at this. And she said, you got to let the doctor examine you. The doctor examined me and said, we can't take you. I said, why not? They said, you have three vertebrae in your neck that are fractured. Because of all the drugs and all that, I didn't even know and couldn't even feel the pain of the vertebrae. So I started crying and I, I started crying and, and, and all that. And this same guy walked up and down. He looked at me and said, it's something about you. He said, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to give you a chance. I looked up at him and I said, you give me this chance, I'll never let you down. Mercy. I stayed in that detox. I had one counselor. 
said she couldn't help me. Then I had another counselor, her name, and I have to give her props. Her name is Stephanie McLean. She's been to Bermuda since which, and, you know. She said, and she told me, she says, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I said, wow. She started to relate to me, and she took me back through all my childhood. And she brought me from my childhood and said, and she told me things like, you're worth it. You're good. You're not a bad person, you know, and all those positive affirmations that she was giving me helped to build me back up. I love her dearly. She has a special place in my heart and always. And as it came down to, to time for me to get out of that detox and that rehab that I was in, she wrote me a, a, a note, said, now you need to, to go somewhere else. And so they checked places around to get me. This. So then I went down to the welfare office and the uh, uh, Medicaid office and all that. And they gave me a letter. Now I had no ID. Now I'm going to show you how God works. I had no ID. I couldn't even say who I was. They wrote a letter. I got there and I sat there. And I, right, and the lady called my name and I went up to her desk. And as I sat down at her desk, I just started to cry. I just cried. I, I mean, cried. She looked at me. She says, don't worry about it. Yes, you need a place to stay. Yes, you need food stamps. Yes, you need an ID. Yeah, she gave me $15. And she said, that $15 is to come back in three days. I came back in three days. They took me downstairs. They took pictures. They gave me ID. They gave me $150 food stamps. They gave me, uh, they paid my, my rent for me to go to a sober house. I went to this sober house, downtown Brooklyn, which was not sober. They were using. I stayed away from them. I went to all my meetings. I went to all my AA meetings. I went to my NA meetings. I, I tried to get into a church that I really couldn't relate to the people in that. But I knew all those things from what my grandmother taught me. I knew that something was so I called same Stephanie back. That was my counselor at Creedmoor. By the way, Creedmoor is a mental institution. So I was in a crazy house. That was my rehab, a mental institution. Right? Yeah, I was crazy. Crazy for using all them drugs. And even up to today, some of the residue still lingers. Stephanie and Tony came down at midnight and took me out of that silver house and took me to one that some of their friends operated in Queens, which was a true sober house. They were sober. They were no longer, they knew, they didn't use drugs, they made their meetings, they done whatever they had to do. And, you know, you had to uh, be in at a certain hour and all that. And I remember about six months after being in there, one morning I woke up and that morning I knew without a shadow of doubt, I'll never use drugs again. Without a shadow of doubt. Before I used to have drug dreams. I used to have to sleep with Walkmans. I used to, you know, had to listen to motivated speakers. I had to be always in around people who weren't using drugs. But this particular morning, I woke up. I knew that God had delivered me from ever using drugs again. Thank God. It was a miraculous thing that happened. It weren't something that, and I could tell people that it weren't something that you can just say that, you know, you're going to stop using drugs. Because it's more difficult than that. Because drugs had more power over me than I had over it. 
it controlled me. It controlled everything that I did, everything that I thought about, everything that I, I uh, wanted to do. It took it all away. You know, and, and that's why I say my story is disclosing it generally what it used to be like and what happened. And what happened was that I needed to take that change in my life and that change had to come about. I remember that when I was in my in my rehab, I used to walk around in a circle and I used to sing them old spirituals that my grandmother used to talk to me. And, oh, Lord, thy God, how great thou art that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And, and I used to say in a place I needed to be and I needed to be at Creedmoor. You know, I used to walk onward Christian soldiers. I used to sing all them songs that I learned from my grandparents when I used to go to church. And I knew that there was a God that could save me, that could take me away from all this ignorance that I was doing. I knew it without a shadow of doubt. I had to have faith in that. And I had to walk that faith. I had to walk. And, I, and as I used to walk around that circle, I used to think of the story of, of, of the walls of Jericho. I used to think about because I remember those stories as a child. And, you know, it, it comes to me so clearly that, you know, train a child when he's young and the way he should go when it's early won't depart. Because I remember those things that my grandmother used to teach me. Pastor, I'm sorry if I get a little excited, but that's the way it was for me. I mean, it, it it's so prevalent in my life today that I have to let everyone know. Because to whom much is given, much is required. You know, God has delivered me, you know, beyond my wildest dreams. And, and I'm painting this picture because, see, what I had to go through to get to the, the point that the disease of addiction had no more power over me is, is that I had to go through all this, this fire and furnish. And, you know, uh, one person I heard share one time, they say, the purest gold goes through the hottest fire. And God was sending me through all these trials, allowing me to go through all these trials and tribulations to bring me to a point. And I often ask myself, why am I still here? And five of my closest friends are all dead. And another one that I had later on in life is in jail for murder for the rest of his life. So I have a message to carry, a message of hope. And the acronym for hope is help open people's eyes to a better way of living, a Christian way of living, a righteous way of living, a God-filled way of living. Because, see, God delivered me. And, and when I tell you he delivered me, he delivered me that I, I no longer have a craving. I no longer have a, a desire. I no longer have an urge. I don't have those things in my life no more. I no longer smoke cigarettes. I no longer drink. I no longer do drugs. You know, all those things. And, you know, and I'm going to tell you now, it was not all my doings because without God's grace and mercy, I couldn't do none of this. And I tell people that that you have to get God in your life. And the reason why you got to get God in life, because there's a hole inside of you that, that you try to fill with all the drugs and partying and sex and this and that. But, you know, until God fills that hole, it's going to always be empty. Until God fills that hole, you can always keep going back. Until God fills that hole, you're always going to relapse. And when God fills it, you'll never go back to that no more. Pastor, I know that we're, we're probably getting close to this, this part of our time. And, 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 and I think that, you know, I, I want to take a pause right there because I, I, I painted the picture of what it used to be like and part of what happened. Because what happened was such a mag magnificent metamorphosis that was happening while I was in that cocoon to change my life to where it started to evolve to and go on to today. So I think that I'm going to pause right there because I, I can see the time.
uh, Brother Matthews, let me say that you have painted that picture. A tremendous bit of sharing you have done. Transparency, amazing. The people are being blessed because you have been delivered. And that's the thing. God spared you. And just like in the Bible, the story of the 10 lepers, and one of them came back and said, thank you. And sir, I see you as that 10th one, a tithe of the whole. And you have returned to say thank you. And for that reason, uh, your testimony that you've begun today, this is the before. And we're going to get to, they see the images of the newspaper around. And I'm going to show how did you get from the bottom to being featured in the newspaper in Bermuda? What in the world? We Listen, there is no way with what you have shared with us that we could say, oh, yeah, he, he's going to return to the island and he's going to do A, B, and C. Absolutely not. We cannot see it. You are so far gone. My God, you know, uh, 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 could have been murdered, uh, uh, could have been mentally um, yet in an institution destroyed. But God kept you and he would not let you go. He would not let you go. No matter how much foolishness, no matter how much folly, how much danger. He said, I still got him. He's still mine. And so I want to thank you. I'm going to talk maybe for a couple more minutes because there are so many who are not as down as you were down. They're not as far gone. And they think that they have no hope. But listen, the big thing to me, one of the big things you said that in the midst of your journey, you remembered your grandma. You remembered the songs. Amen. You remember what you used to sing in Sunday school. And sir, that is the saving grace. Somebody said it. You've been trained up. And even when you went off the tracks, God got you back on tracks by getting you on that express train or whatever to get you to that place. God's plan is bigger than the mess that we find ourselves in because he's going to turn the mess into a message. So one more time, I want to thank you for part one. And uh, next week, might as well continue next week, Monday, we want to hear part two. And we want to hear how God got you from one place to another. Just some extra comments here uh, that you would appreciate. I've been showing them. Um, Nurse Avery, she's actually a nurse. She said, God bless you. Go out into the highways and reach out to our many black men in the streets. Thank you. May God continue to use you. Well, she's going to hear next week how you have made an attempt to do so. We're going to talk about that. Quite timely for what Bermuda's experiencing. Quite timely. I'm not going to say too much because, <laughs> yeah. So our superintendent, uh, Janice Battersley, said, yep, in, in the palm of God's hands. I'll tell you, woo. He kept you. Glory to Jesus. I feel like I feel like getting up and dancing right here. He kept you in a ridiculous circumstance. He kept you when there was no way you should have been kept. That's why your story is going to be heard over and over. Sister Mikea, being one of our young women in church, said, wow, God bless you and may God speak to you 
more so you can speak to someone that is in a similar path and be inspired to turn their life around. That's right. That's why everybody who is on here, Brother Ty, Alex, I see you. I'm telling you what, you need to share this. When it posts on Facebook, share it to your timeline. My God, the anointing is on this interview because God has anointed this man. There is no way he could have survived unless God's hand was upon him, anointed for such a time as this. And so uh, you can tell I'm quite excited and I'm revved up about this. So we're going to share our part two next week. And my sister, yeah, my sister Allison said, yep, definitely part two, three and more. That's right, because as long as you live, we've got more to say for what you're trying to do. So I'm officially going to close it here. Uh, I need to read one more comment because this was one we saw earlier. And I said, I've got to go back and read it. It's from Mother Maxine De Silva. And it just reminded me, of course, of your story. She said, my son was given, listen, my son was given weed at 10 years old by someone he looked up to, a family member. And he has been in jail all his life. Don't tell me it's harmless. He's in jail right now in China. And so listen, Brother Matthews, if we, listen, Mahalia Jackson sings it. If I can help somebody as I travel along the way, then my living has not been in vain. And sir, I tell you, as long as you're hooked up with this pastor, yes, I'm going to say it. There will be an avenue by which your story will get out and we will support you as you do evangelism and what have you. Uh, God's hand is upon you and I dare not do anything but support uh, what God is doing. Amen. And Terry Cox, I'm not sure that might be the school principal. I'm not sure. In any case, she's saying God's mercy kept you. God's mercy kept me. So I wouldn't let go. Yes, he did. And then we have a comment here. Um, Jashe Cooper, thank you for your comments, sir. Probably something I needed to hear. God, in the name of Jesus, we touch and agree in the spirit realm, even for our brother Jashe right now. My God, that the captive would set him free by the power of Jesus Christ. We come in agreement that what Jashe needs and others need, it is done by the precious name of Jesus. God, you're able. We rebuke the devourer and the plan of the enemy. God, you are able. We know you can. And Jashe, I'm going to put my email right in in case you, if you're in Bermuda, if you're not in Bermuda, either way, myself and or Brother Kenneth Matthew will get a hold of you if you need encouragement. That's why we are here. This is not for no fanfare, just something to do. Okay, let me go to my captions. I know it'll show up when I put it there. There we go. This is serious stuff. This testimony is being heard for such a time as this. So if you or anyone else, any any you know, if, if you're in Bermuda, especially, and you know some guys, listen, they want to get free, but they're trying to, it's hard. Look me up. I've got a man of God. He's been where you are, and he's been much lower, and yet God brought him out. And so, again, to those of you on social media, yep, I'm telling you, it's, an, it's a disease, and we are not going to be at ease with the disease. We, we're going to bother the disease. Amen. That's what Jesus did. And when, when he showed up and the addiction was there, they had to be released. And in the name of Jesus, that's what we're doing. 
So again, I applaud you. I'm excited, Brother Matthew, part one. God continues to strengthen you and keep you uh, because there is so much more ministry that we need to come forth from you for such a time as this. And so thank you again. And we look forward to seeing you next week as we continue to talk about your journey, how God took you from the bottom and he has elevated you to the top and he's not finished yet. God bless you, sir. And may your evening be sweet. Amen. Oh, wow. That was, that was something you all, I'm telling you, and and I'm saying again, I'm putting it on you, um, that you have the ability to cause this testimony to be heard. And so let's share it. We can't keep it to ourselves. We're not going to, because somebody needs to know that God can and God will. And so This is Dr. Maria Siemens. I'm going to be signing off, but you know I'm going to be back. I'm going to be back. All right. As long as God sustains us, we're going to keep on uh, the field of of battle and bring the soldiers home that need to come home and become who God would have them to be. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you. Uh, Your time has not been wasted. Amen. I know that. And um, again, we look forward to seeing you the next time. Until then, hey, blessings abound. And you know what? Real knows real.